Women have a unique role in creation. Women are the nurturers, the birth givers, the more spiritual of the genders. And Torah teaches that women have a special status. Join Mashi Lipska for the next hour as she expounds the Torah wisdom specific to women. Only on 101.9 High FM. Here we are, a guten Erev Shabbos, dear listeners, and I want to give a special hello, a shout out to my friends in Sandringham Gardens and in parents' home, as Baba Bryna used to say, in parents' home. I'm thinking a lot about you these days and hoping that you're keeping well and feeling so uplifted by the wisdom that was shown to actually quarantine early. And thank God that you're all keeping safe and not only doing that, but doing an extraordinary service for our community and have been doing for people around the world with your minyanim. So may Hashem strengthen you and uplift you. We are one community indeed. And the Parsha is a parsha about the importance of each and every individual. The name of the parsha, Nasai, Naso. Hashem tells Moshe to count the next tribe in the Levim. Last week we counted the Kehosim. Now we've got to count the second group that would carry the Mishkan when it was disassembled and to put it up again when they would come to their next resting place in their 40 years of travel in the desert. And now the family of Gershon is counted, and then the family of Merari. Nosoi es roish, the first three words in the parsha, lift the heads, count each and every head. What does that mean? The Torah could have used any terminology to say count. But this terminology, Naso, also includes the concept that by counting, you actually highlight the unique qualities, the importance of the individual. And so this is a partial of elevation. It's always read in conjunction to Shavuot, either right before on rare occasions or immediately after Shavuot. So indeed, last Shabbos, which was Shavuot, actually blesses the week to follow. So every day of this week that we have studied this Parsha has actually been launched by the festival of the giving of the Torah. Hashem is telling Moshe, elevate, lift up the nation. Elevate. That's the starting point of the Parsha. The Torah was given to elevate all of creation. Basically, to reveal the true nature or the spiritual nature that is hidden in the world. <coughs> so the Parsha this week addresses the family of Gershon and then Merori as to how they would transport the Mishkan from one journey to the other. 
in addition to the family of Kehoz, Kehat, at last week's parsha. And, of course, every journey took them closer to the promised land. So they were going from level to level, higher and higher. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. I'm Mashi Lipsker, Erev Shabbos Parashat Naso. Special Parsha as we continue on our journey from Sinai. From that great moment, we need to come into daily life and apply everything that we committed to at that great moment. And the question is, what exactly is expected of us? How exactly are we meant to carry this out, particularly when it's the journey of life and it's ongoing and it's often tedious and there are many challenges along the way? Yes, there are definite guidelines. Each one of us has exact work to do in this world. Each one of us has a job. And when we work together, we actually empower the entire unit. We affect the entire world. The entire nation, the entire world can move forward and ultimately enter the promised land when each of us does what he or she needs to do. And it's not the same. There are various jobs, tasks, missions for which we've been granted different abilities. And Hashem is constantly setting the stage with the particular challenge and opportunity for us. But it's a work that has to be done step by step. And the people who were gifted with the job of transporting, of erecting and disassembling the Mishkan, the boards, the curtains, the various vessels that were inside. Those were the three families of the tribe of Levi. Let's remember that each one of us, part of the Jewish nation, is also considered part of the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Before Hashem gave us the Torah, he said to us, and you will be unto me, Mamlechet Kohanim v'goy kadosh. You will be special. You'll be royal. And you'll be uplifted. Kohanim. And the Leviim and the Kohanim are one family. The Kohanim come from the tribe of Levi. And let's talk about a very interesting thing that happens in the Parsha. In the Parsha, the priests, the princes, the Nisi'im donated gifts. On the day that the Mishkan was inaugurated, they brought all kinds of gifts. And amongst the gifts, they brought a united gift of six covered wagons and 12 oxen to pull them. And when they brought them in front of the Mishkan, in front of the sanctuary, Moshe hesitated. He wasn't sure. He didn't accept them until Hashem said, Kach, take them. And the question is why? 
the Levim had to transport all kinds of things. And yes, the holy vessels, like the holy ark, the table, the menorah, the holy altar, these things had to be carried by shoulder. But then there were these heavy boards. And until Moshe was told by Hashem to take them, Moshe hesitated. Let's go back a little bit. After everything that the Jewish people had crafted, donated, made, the Mishkan was not assembled. For several months, all these pieces lay in waiting until Hashem gave the command. And whom did he command to put it together? Hashem left a place for Moshe, who didn't contribute of his own. He left a place for him in this entire wonderful service. He said to Moshe, put it up. And Moshe tried, but the boards were too heavy. And Hashem said to him, you do your best. You try and lift it. And miraculously, when Moshe had done his best, the boards just lifted up themselves. Hashem completed the job. So now, Moshe, who's a kind leader, who always wanted to make it easy for the, easier for the people, surely Moshe would have wanted them to have wagons to carry these holy boards. He knew how heavy they were. Why didn't he take them? Why did he leave them outside? So we want to look at something else, which makes the question even stronger. And what is that? What did the Jews do in Egypt? They had just left Egypt a short while before where they were building pyramids. And if we look at the pyramids, the pyramids were built from massive stones. They had to last a long time. We know in the Torah it says they were built to be fortresses, treasure cities. When we look at the images etched on the pyramids, what do we see? We see a taskmaster with a group of slaves tied together, as it were. And they're all pulling one big stone, which was only a part of the pyramid. Each stone was incredibly, incredibly heavy. And they strained and they pulled Certainly, the boards of the Mishkan, as heavy as they were, were not as heavy as the stones, each stone of the pyramids. Certainly, a few Leviim could have lifted those boards, disassembled, and it would be so much easier if they had to carry it, not on their shoulders, but in a wagon. Certainly, a few men together could have done it. We have to ask, why did Moshe need that miracle? Why couldn't he call other people to put up the Mishkan together? When we look at how the pyramids were built, we will see the answer. The pyramids were built with slave labor against their will. It was a bitter work. They broke the people's bodies and spirits. 
They absolutely tortured them, forced them, and caused a terrible, terrible slavery to actually break them. That's not what Judaism is all about. That's where the difference lies. To build a home for Hashem must be a joyful, willing, positive type of activity. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. I'm Mashi Lipsker. And before we continue today, I have a surprise for you. Hello. Next to me here in the home studio is a very special guest. And this special guest is someone very, very dear to my heart. And she's agreed to come on and share some special heartwarming insights with you. After which, we will please God continue our discussion as to why Moshe did not want to accept the wagons in which the boards would be carried when obviously it would make it so much easier for his brethren, for the Levim. So I'm going to introduce my dear granddaughter, Chava Freundlach, from Beijing, but also from Israel. Hi, Chava. Hi, everyone. And Chava is here with us, so it's my joy, but it is lockdown. So Chava, tell me a little bit about the last few months. How old are you? I'm 17 years old, and uh, me and my family couldn't go back to China because of the whole situation. So we came to be here with our family, our grandparents, and cousins for the holiday of Passover, and um, we've been here ever since. Where did you come from? From China. I know you're from China, but where do you study? You're 17 years old. I study um, in high school in Israel. Um, since ninth grade and now I'm in eleventh grade, so it's your third year. Yes, it is. And uh, do you speak Hebrew? I do. What else do you speak? I speak a Hebrew, Chinese, Yiddish, and English. You're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say something to the people. What would you say in Hebrew on a day like this? <clears throat> we want to greet everybody, obviously, with Shabbat Shalom, which is familiar to everyone. I wonder if you can say that in four languages, Chava. Any chance? Shabbat Shalom, uh, Agat Shabbos, Agat Shabbos, and uh, Chal Shabbos. Chal Shabbos, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so Chava was born in Hong Kong and grew up in Beijing. And um whole fascinating story, many stories rolled into one. But there's a story that I want Chava to share with you today because it really reflects the power of the individual and it actually brings home how each and every one of us is so much more powerful than we even dream. And what we have to do is to do, get involved, notice what's going on around us, and say to ourselves, why did Hashem make me notice this? So Chava, 
anything you want to tell the listeners would be wonderful. But let's start with that very special story that Chava didn't tell me, but her parents did. So let's hear about it. And tell us a little bit about the setting, because for those who've never been to Beijing or to your Chabad house. So we have a Chabad house, and every week we have about a 100 plus people that come to our Shabbos table and to our Chabad house to go to the shul and daven and then come and eat the Shabbos meal with us. Um, a few years ago, we had a couple that moved to Beijing um, to work there. And they used to come to our, they used to come to our Chabadas every week for a Shabbos meal. Um, the husband would walk, the, the man would walk upstairs and go daven and the, and the woman, she stayed downstairs. She didn't really feel like going upstairs. And I just, as a nine year old girl, I saw her like she was all alone over there. And I just went up to her and befriended her the first week that they were there. And this just became like ongoing thing. We became very close. Um, and then slowly she did also go upstairs to, to Davin. Uh, it came to the point where at their, at their wedding, they asked my father to make them a chuppah, which was something that like, we didn't think would ever happen, being they were a little bit anti the whole religion. Um, and they asked my father if I could come to their wedding, just to really feel like you did something very special to bring somebody closer to you and to, to Yiddishkeit. And to um, the Kaddish Baruch Hu, which is very special, and yeah. and you were nine years old. Yeah. What did you feel when you saw her come in, and instead of going upstairs to the shul, she would just go and sit at the set tables where the meal was going to take place, but nobody was there. Yeah. I mean, what what made a nine year old girl just saw somebody that was alone, didn't really think too much about it, and just wanted her to like feel welcome. Uh, it was a new place. They just moved there. She didn't know anybody. So I just went over to her and it slowly became like a friendship, which was very strange in a sense because we were such a big age gap between us. Yeah. And and where were they from? From Israel. So did you speak to her in Hebrew? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've actually been educated in Hebrew. Yeah. Your your schooling has always been yeah. in, in Hebrew. It, it's fascinating. So we talk about a new baby that's born, and they complete all of creation. We speak about counting, lifting up the head. And the head is what distinguishes us. That's the mind. That's the intellect. That's what should lead a human being. Not emotion, not instinct, but rationale which then combines with all of our other abilities to make a warm, rational decision. And here you had a child whose natural instinct was to reach out and help, to welcome, to uplift. Where did you get that strength from? How does a little girl have that confidence to welcome a complete stranger? I feel like um, the way I grew up, my parents always educated me that you always have to welcome everybody into your home, even though they may be very, very different from you and maybe not like your kind of cup of tea, but every person is their own individual. And when they come into your home, into your Chabadas, which is your home, then 
you come welcome them with open arms, um, although you have many differences. That's amazing because it's one thing to have those teachings, but the other thing to see it actually happen. And the truth is that in Chabad work, so many people say that it's the children who've made their work a success. That when people see, number one, they see family. And that's really what we want most of all, is to be able to have the connection with family, to see that our children are carrying on our cherished ideals, obviously, particularly those that are rooted not only in family history, but in God's infinite wisdom. You want the best for your children. And how do you give it to them? Obviously, by inclusion, by love, by example, but inclusion. There's so many people speak about, you live in China, so far away, you don't have a Jewish school, you probably don't have friends your age. Um, off and on, people might move there three years, four years, two years. You get a friend, the friend moves away. But what fills a person's heart to be included, to give, to be part of something? We have to wake up in the morning and have a goal, look forward to something. And this type of inclusion of the children in the shlichut, in the mission, just fits in so well with this idea that everybody's important and everybody completes all of creation. And so I just want to share a little bit more about what happened over here with Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe sees how the Nisi'im bring these covered wagons and he doesn't spring to accept them. He doesn't say, please bring them into the courtyard. And one would initially think he would have because, indeed, leadership and the leader Moshe would want to make them feel welcome, included, and he would want to make it easier for the Jewish people, easier for his family, that they wouldn't have to carry these heavy boards. And he knew how heavy they were. And he knew they would be wandering for 40 years in the desert. And he knew there would be many journeys. Of course, there's a basic understanding over here. The way the pyramids were built, as we said before, these heavy, heavy stones. It was forced labor. And Jewish life is supposed to be with joy. Yiddishkeit, supposed to be with love. How do you build God's world? We're here to build. The Mishkan, the tabernacle, is an example. It's a miniature of a home for God. And ultimately, the entire world is meant to be a home for God. How do we build a home for God? So when Moshe announced that we were going to be allowed to build a home for God, and they announced it in the camp, bring your donations of gold and silver and copper and so on, 
What does it say? It says that they brought things willingly with a willing heart. Every man, what he felt like giving. In other words, nothing was forced. And the Rebbe explains, we all have things to give. We have strengths and abilities. Hashem doesn't want to make it hard for us. And he certainly doesn't want to drain us. Hashem doesn't want to steal from us, not our freedom, not our energies. He wants us to build his world with joy. A Torah way of life is to build a holy home for Hashem based on love, based on desire, not being forced, based on simcha. When we're sad, when we're bitter, we become so drained. And that is not a service to Hashem. Hashem doesn't want forced labor. I have to go to school. I have to put on film. I have to. I don't feel like it. I don't like it. Hashem wants us to willingly, joyfully give And not to force us to do anything. And when we do, as in Chava's story, she's a little girl. She never dreamed of any result. She just gave purely. That's from the love that God put into her heart. She's using it to put love into other people and into the world. And what happens Exactly what happened when Moshe picked up those heavy boards. You know what happened? Hashem helped. Moshe did his best, and suddenly the boards just stood up. Hashem miraculously completed the task. We don't have to finish. We just have to do our absolute best. We don't have miraculous strength. But when we connect to the infinite one, suddenly, what we say in the Shema, Hashem, who's a transcendent God, he becomes Elokeinu, our strength. Hashem actually takes our elbow, takes our hand, and we achieve things that we could never really achieve on our own ever, ever. And with that strength, we can put up the boards. But Hashem wants everything to be done in a non-miraculous way until we've exhausted every one of our abilities, which he has gifted us with. We need to work, but work bedarkei hateva. You know, we're imperfect. Am I perfect, Chava? <laughs> You're a perfect, Chava. Me, I'm not perfect. We're imperfect humans. Who made us like that? Hashem. Hashem. That's his will, that we be imperfect. But he delights in all our contributions. When we do anything with love, with willingness, with energy, with chayas, he's so happy. Because he knows how hard it is for us. He knows that maybe a little girl would rather go play with her friends or go upstairs and stand with her father or go and eat something or 
I mean, you have a beautiful games room in your Chabad house. Yes. A nine-year-old would like to jump amongst the balls and slide down the slide. And Chava's parents repeated the story several times. And when I mentioned she'd be coming on the radio today, her father said, get her to tell that story. They still marvel that she did what nobody else could do. And there's two parts to that. Number one, each one of us has missions that somebody else cannot accomplish. With all of the good reasons your parents could have given and all of the attention, which maybe they had time or didn't have time to do, the purity of a child, which we all have inside of us. In other words, Chava had no agenda. It was just to give from the heart. And what did you build? You built a mishkan. Because every Jewish home is a miniature sanctuary. And you, little girl, with no agendas. And that's the other thing. We just have to do it because that's how it should be done. That's the right way. Not with big stuff, what am I going to get out of it? Do they have a candy store? Do they have a dress factory? Do they have a toy company? No. I'm doing it as a human being, giving to someone. So guess what? Imperfect people make Hashem so happy with their seemingly little, puny, reaching out to someone. And what did Hashem do? He lifted up those boards. They have a Mishkan now. They have a holy temple. Thank you, Chava. Thank you so much for having me. We're not getting rid of you yet. We'll just be right back after this short break. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. There we are. Thank you, Craig. You're incredible. We're sitting here at home. And with such expertise, Craig is just greasing the wheels for us. And today for my dear granddaughter, Chava. And we're speaking about building a home for God. We're speaking about carrying the individual boards. And before the break, we spoke. And we heard from Chava as to how, through her doing something pure, beautiful, and with love, willingly, a home for God was built in Israel. Who would have dreamed it? How much more so can we, adults, who can understand and think about the needs of other people, be there for them, especially at times like these? We're human. That's how Hashem made us. So we, we're human, must do. We must do to the max. And then what happens? Hashem completes it. It's a partnership of us and Hashem, and the vehicle is through the mitzvah, through the action. And there are many mitzvahs that are directly connected to the basic mitzvah of Torah, which is love your fellow as yourself. So when we do our maximum of what our responsibilities are, and just use our human powers, abilities, and so on, suddenly the Mishkan is standing. The boards are up. And that's what Hashem tells Moshe. 
use your energies, and then I will introduce mine. I will add to it. And suddenly the Mishkan stands up on its own. But Hashem says, you do yours and then I'll do mine. And each one of us is bidden to do exactly what Moshe was bidden to do. But now let's talk about why Moshe did not want to bring, initially didn't want to bring those wagons inside. So Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher Moshe, he makes the following reckoning, this cheshbon. He says, look, every time he thought to himself, the Jewish people would be ready to travel. So the tribe of Levi would go in and they would disassemble the Mishkan. And when they would get to their destination, they would have to reassemble it. And he figured that the same miracle that happened to him would repeat itself. But just as the Mishkan was the Mishkan of Moshe, he's the one who put it up, he thought now it will be like the, it will be credited to the tribe of Levi. The nest, the miracle will repeat itself. And each time will be credited to them as it was to him the first time. And he said, why not extend that idea and realize that they would do their best to lift these boards and then a miracle would happen and Hashem would help them to carry it. So that was Moshe's thought. Not God forbid to make it harder for the Levim that they would have to carry it and be burdened. He knew that Hashem helps and he figured they would do their best and Hashem would do the rest. And that's why he didn't want the wagons. He thought, am I going to exchange this potential miraculous way through the hands of Hashem with a wagon that's harnessed to oxen? Doesn't make sense. I want to give the Jews the ability to connect with Hashem in a miraculous way. And he didn't take them until Hashem said, take them. Why did Hashem say, take them? Hashem was saying, I want things to happen in a normal way. I made the world. I made the people. And I intend them to work in a non-miraculous way, but through nature, which is a miracle of its own. Hashem wants things in nature. So, if they needed a wagon, Hashem says, go right ahead. Figure it out. Do your best. Because to prepare this world for Hashem, we have to absolutely use every inch of space, which was used, and every thought and every idea, and to incorporate everything in creation into the service of Hashem. What's our work? Our work is to build a sanctuary, a home for God. And it's not just to make a holy temple in Jerusalem or a traveling Mishkan that went with us in the desert, but the Osuli Mikdash Vishokhanti Besoicham. Each one of us needs to make 
a sanctuary for God in our hearts and in our homes. Each one of us is building a sanctuary. And God doesn't want, God forbid, to break us. He doesn't want to make it hard for us. He doesn't want to crush our spirits. Yes, there are times when we have to have self-sacrifice. I don't feel like doing it. I don't want to do it, but it's the right thing. And there's no greater feeling than doing the right thing, no matter how hard. But the way you have to do it is wanting to do it. The regular way, what I really want to do. God gave me abilities. Let me bring out my abilities. Let me do that dance with the steps that feel right for me, according to Tyra. Do it according to my nature. So the first thing is willingly. Secondly, when Hashem told Moshe, you take those boards in your hands. And Moshe did all he could. When we do all we can, the boards stand up by themselves. And Hashem blesses us. But he blesses us in everything that we do. This is a world of action. We have to use the time. We have to squeeze as much goodness into every space. Like the full wagons. Into every moment. We have, we're going to make mistakes. And then we have to backtrack and say, I made a mistake. But it's not too late. Because Hashem loves us so much. We are His creations. People pride themselves in their, the work of their hands. How much more so Hashem. And we're Hashem's child. We are Hashem's special child. The Baal Shem Tov said, and the Baal Shem Tov's yard site was on the first day of Shavuot. We didn't have a radio show last Friday because it was Shavuot, and it was the Baal Shem Tov's yard site. And the Baal Shem Tov said that each and every one of us must look at ourselves as if we are Hashem's only child, a child that has been born to parents in their very old age, and they only have one, how much do they love that child? Hashem loves us. And to Hashem, our old mistakes don't color the way He sees us now. We must see ourselves in that positive light. We get in the way of Hashem's love for us. It's important that a person feels beloved, gifted. Otherwise, they get dragged down by misery, by guilt, by a sense of disappointment in themselves. That's usually what drags us down the most. But Hashem will bless us in all that we do. We've got to get out of ourselves. Certainly in these times, it's such an ideal time people need. They need other people to phone them, to uplift them. Where somebody can, it's important that we increase in our tzedakah. Individuals are very, very crippled at the moment, unfortunately, by loss of jobs. 
and finances being cut, salaries being cut. <clears throat> and when we remember others and we reach out to them, Hashem will reward us ten times over, more than that. Let's give Hashem an opportunity to bring blessings into our lives. For if we do, do, la'asot, this is the world of Asiya, Hashem will certainly bless us. And I'd like to share a story which happened with the Baal Shem Tov a long time ago. And that, with that, we will finish our show today. And the story goes that the Baal Shem Tov once traveled to a distant town, as he was wont to do, and came to an innkeeper, he and several of his students. <coughs> and the innkeeper was very, very poor. And he and the disciples came inside, and the Baal Shem Tov asked for some hot milk because they were so cold. And the man was very, very poor to the point where he didn't have anything. And apparently he quickly ran. He pawned something. He got some milk. He warmed it up. He chopped some wood. He warmed it up, etc. And they stayed there for five whole days. When he asked them where they were from, they said, we are from Mezabush. Now the Balshemtov, the holy Balshemtov was from Mezabush. And the innkeeper, whose name was Moshe, said, oh, I'm so excited. You're from Mezabush. Wow. Tell me something about the tzaddik and all the wonders that he does. And the Baal Shem Tov, of course, was sitting there at his table. He said, nah, let's not talk about the Baal Shem Tov. We're really tired. And it was a hard journey. So please, prepare a good meal for us and show us where to sleep tonight. But Moshe's house, house was empty. He didn't have food for the guests. He didn't have money. So what did he do? He took one of the few things he had left, pawned it, and from... That little bit of money, what could he buy? He bought some flowers, some vegetable, vegetables, some eggs, and the wife prepared a meal, and the kids ate the leftovers. And again, while they were eating, Moshe took all the pillows and blankets in the house and made beds for them. And Moshe and the family, they were so poor, they wrapped themselves up in their old coats and slept in the corner of the room on the floor. <clears throat> and this is how it went on for five days, until there was nothing left in the house. But Moshe kept trying. And eventually, after five days, and there was absolutely nothing left, the Baal Shem Tov took his leave. And when Moshe was seeing them off, the Baal Shem Tov thanked him and so on, and Moshe said, please, Rabbi, when you get to Mezabush, mention my name to the holy Baal Shem Tov and get a blessing for me. Ask him that I can, I should serve God with a perfect heart. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for anything material. Just that he should serve God with a perfect heart. The Baal Shem Tov turned around and said, let me tell you, I'm the Baal Shem Tov. Moshe was so shocked. 
He said, wow, I had such a great guest in my house and I didn't honor him properly. But with that, the Balshemtov ordered his driver to pull out and they galloped away. Well, Moshe comes back into the house and the kids are crying. They're starving. Tata, we're hungry. Give us something to eat. Moshe says to them, don't cry, Kindalach. We just had a great mitzvah. We had the honor of having the tzaddik, the Baal Shem Tov in our house. But the children couldn't be comforted. Crying, they fell asleep. And at that point, Moshe turned to Hashem and he said, I don't mind that I'm hungry. And thank you for giving me such a great mitzvah. But why do my kindalach have to suffer? They don't deserve to go hungry like this. Hashem, please have mercy on them and provide us with some food. The children fell asleep, exhausted, crying. But at that moment, something wonderful happened. And that is that he prayed for his needs and everything turned around. Until the Baal Shem Tov squeezed him. He didn't ask for anything. But at that moment, a miracle happened. There's no time to tell the rest of the story now. But the message is, ask Hashem for what we need. We're in a difficult time. He's squeezing us. Let's not gossip about it. Let's not moan about it. Let's not theorize about it. Let's turn to Hashem. And he will certainly do his part as a loving father. We light candles at 5.05. Shabbos ends tomorrow at 6. A good Shabbos. And thank you, Chava. Thank you for having me.